in this series on the dynamics of prayer, we've talked about a lot of things. And the more I study, the more I see things to talk about. We're not going to do this forever, but I want to give us one more major topic uh, that goes into the whole arena of powerful, victorious, answered prayer. Um, it's an indispensable quality. It's one we don't talk about much. It's one I've never been taught about much. And so Jesus himself taught it very specifically. And it was important enough that he spoke several parables in the New Testament concerning the subject. It's the subject of importunity. Importunity. What in the world is importunity? Well, we don't use that word much in our 21st century culture in America. But today, we're going to look at importunity or importunate prayer. What is it? Jesus taught that people, men, he's specifically to scripture, but it, it's a word that means everybody, that people ought always to pray and not to faint. He said that specifically. And so throughout his ministry, Jesus made it clear that importunity is a distinguishing characteristic of true praying. Importunity is unconquerable persistence. Unconquerable persistence. It's the ability to keep on, to hold on, to wait with a tight, persistent grasp. It's intentional. It is a passion. Uh, it's not an option. It is a necessity. And so sometimes we use the word perseverance or persistence as synonymous, as synonyms with, uh, for importunity. But importunity is that, but it's more than that. It's a step higher than persistence or um, perseverance. It's deeper than that. That Greek word, the Greek word that is translated in the King James Bible, I believe, is importunity. Literally is shamelessness. Shamelessness. And it has to do with earnestness partnering with perseverance. They go together. And so importunate praying never quits. Never quits. It never yields to intimidation. It doesn't worry about being embarrassed. It doesn't, um, it, it holds up against questions, against barriers to prayer. And it is sustained by a faith that refuses to let go. Well, Jesus has painted some word pictures of this for us. Uh, and we need to look at them together. So if you'll begin uh, by turning with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This chapter begins with the Lord Jesus answering the request of the disciples for him to teach them to pray. And so this is Luke's version of where Jesus gave them the model prayer. We've had a lesson on that. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And so in this model prayer, he gives us an outline for all of the major topics of prayer. 
And then immediately, immediately, you look at the end of verse 4, he says, um, and lead us not into temptation. And so immediately after that, look at verse 5. And then he said to them, suppose one of you have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I have nothing to feed him. And from inside, he, the friend, shall say, don't bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his persistence or literally his shamelessness, or that may be the place in the King James Bible that says importunity, because of his shameless persistence, let's say, he will, will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Or if you then, being evil, being the people that you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now that is a loaded parable. Now this chapter begins, remember, with Jesus answering the disciples' request to be taught to pray. And so he began and he gave the model prayer. And um, this parable then starts out with a simple incident in which this man needed some bread to feed a friend at midnight. Well, when he talks about a loaf here, they didn't have loaves of bread like we have loaves of bread. He's talking about something like the size of a biscuit or maybe a hamburger bun, something like that. You remember the boy that had uh, five loaves and two small fish? They're small pieces of bread. And so this guy's asking for three of those. But the key word in verse 8 is that word importunity, importunity or persistence. The literal translation, mark it in your Bible, is shamelessness, shamelessness. And it's a word that um, kind of means to us a lot of nerve, he has a lot of nerve to do that. It's kind of uh, like an, an attitude that we might say, rushing where angels fear to tread. He's going after it. He's into it. He's got to have it. So Jesus is saying here that this man got what he wanted, not because uh, he was a man's friend, but because he was shameless and persistent in asking for it. The point of the story is don't be shameless and hesitant. I'm sorry, don't be hesitant and shameful in asking God for anything. He is inviting us here to not be embarrassed to go to God, to ask God. So here they are. It's the middle of the night. Now, this guy has got a duty. He's got a duty to get bread for his friend. And it was a greater concern to him to get bread 
than it was that the neighbor and his family were asleep. So it was a bold thing to do. The Lord is inviting us here to aggressive, persistent prayer. He gives this example. And even our simplest prayer is not insignificant to God. I want to be sure we get that because there are so many people who think, oh, I don't need to be worrying God with that. Oh, that's such a small thing. God surely thinks that I can do that myself. Well, no, he is telling us that small things to some people, they may be big things to us, but they're not uh, big to everybody, uh, you know, but they're, they may be big to us. And he's saying, it's okay to take these to God. And all this man wanted was a little bit of bread a little bit of bread. And so Jesus has got purpose in this illustration. Jesus didn't mince words. He didn't give parables just to be entertaining. He's always teaching great depths when he is teaching in parables. Well, sometimes we may think that God is so big and so sovereign and our trivialities just don't matter to him, that, that it's wrong to ask God for little things, that he's just too big and too busy for my little stuff. And I've had people say to me, oh, I don't need to pray about that. God's just so big, he's so busy. He's got so, look at all the stuff that's going on in the world. I don't need to be asking him for that. That's not what Jesus is saying here, you know. He says it's okay to bother God, even at midnight. And so remember that God wants us to pray. I think one of the primary keys in this whole study we've done on the, the dynamics of prayer is for us to understand God wants us to pray. God wants us to pray. We are part of his plan. It is God's divine choice to interact with us and to use our prayers to accomplish his will in the world. The Lord is teaching us something about how to approach him. And so he's telling us here that we are invited to this bold, shameless, interruptive kind of prayer with God, that we can have that kind of relationship with him. Prayers where we can go, go into God's presence. And I don't mean uh, in an irreverent or tacky way, but that we can go into God's presence and just unburden our whole heart to him. We can tell him even the things that we think are too little to be bothering him with. So number one, don't be embarrassed to ask God for anything at any time. Don't be hesitant to ask at whatever seems to be a midnight hour to you uh, in any circumstance, however small it may be. Verses 9 and 10 carry an incredible promise. He says, And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Um, the literal translation of the verse is a different verb tense. So that what it literally says here is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. So there's the importunity, there's the persistence, but there's also a progression here because uh, you start out with something simple. You start out with asking, 
But then the next step in the progression is you get more aggressive in seeking and then you get even more aggressive when you start knocking and literally some translations say banging on the door. So we might think that that would irritate God, that it would be uh, rude or irreverent. But he says, no, no, that's not the teaching here. The illustration here is that this guy finally got out of bed and gave the man what he wanted because he was asking persistently. Now, uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but God's purpose here in wanting us to pray persistently is not so that we aggravate him until he does. This is not about God and the squeaky wheel uh, that makes the most noise is the one that's going to get answered. That's not what this is about. But let's look at the need here. Why was bread so important to this man? Why would, why would you want to go you know, to, to your neighbor at midnight and ask for three biscuits? Well, in this ancient world, hospitality was expected. It was huge. It was a responsibility, and especially among the Jewish people. So Jewish people lived this way. Hospitality was a priority. And so being a poor host to this Jewish man was not an option. He had to get it done. He had to figure out how he was going to do this because they didn't have a Walmart that was open at 12 o'clock at night. Okay? So he's thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be a host? This man was unexpected, apparently. And so it was, it was a part of their social duty, but it was also a part of their religious duty to be a good, hospitable host. And so this guy was going to get what he asked for because of his shamelessness. So he goes to this friend and says, man, I got to have this. I got to have it. He's shown up. I don't have anything in the house to get him. Just let me have three biscuits. Just let me have three pieces of bread. And he's like, oh, man, I'm in the bed. I'm not getting up for this. But he kept on. Importunity. He's keeping on because it was serious to him. Now, verse 9 uh, you know, look at this because these are three imperative verbs. You ask, you seek, and you knock. So what he's saying here is, you know what? Jesus is teaching us. You ask, but you keep on asking. Now this word seek is an interesting word. It means more than just looking around for it. It means pursuing. It means going after it. He says you keep pursuing it. You keep going after it. And then you keep on knocking. That's the tense of the verb. So God says, you know what? Don't hesitate to be bold. Don't hesitate to be bold. And as you get more intense, the door of God's blessings are going to be opened. When we become more intense and more persistent, then we begin to get more of what God has for us. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Well, look in verse 11. He says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, is he? 
If you then being evil, and that just means you're, we're fallen, we've still got that fallen nature. We could do a whole lesson on that. But if you then being evil, if you being human, know how to good gifts, give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think your heavenly father is going to give to you? If you know how to do that in your sinful state, what would your heavenly father do in his totally loving, totally merciful state? Well, friendship goes a long way. What's the purpose of this section? Friendship goes a long way, but fatherhood is something else. Now, some of you who did not have a good earthly father may have a hard time relating to this or understand it, but give it some, give it some time, give it some brain space here. Think about it because your heavenly father is nothing like that earthly father that hurt you or that was offensive to you. This is, this is a good father. And so what he's saying is if a friend is going to respond to your need, what is a father going to do? So he begins here like he did in the model prayer where we begin with our father. He is establishing a father-child relationship with his children, and he's showing us what to expect from that, what that's going to be like. Uh, your children probably don't hesitate to ask you for anything they want, do they? Uh, they're bold about asking you. Uh, if they need something, you as a good parent are their first go-to. You're the one that's going to help meet that need. And so they know that based on a relationship, your children know that based on your good relationship with them, that they can come to you and get help. Well, verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If people who don't know God can parent well, how well can God parent? So we can, he's inviting us even here to think of him as a heavenly parent, a heavenly parent. Um, there are a lot of people, a lot of good parents who don't know God. They love their children well. They give their children what they need. And so he's saying, you know what? If they can do that, how much more is the heavenly father going to give to his children? He's the good God, the loving God incomprehensible God who wants to be asked, who wants to do this. So you can go to God because he is a loving father. Going to him is better than going to a friend, better than going to a neighbor, but he is far beyond any earthly father. He is far beyond the best of earthly fathers. So Jesus shows us here that we can go to God with boldness and persistence. We can unload whatever is on our hearts. And God is delighted with that. He's not bothered by it. He's not irritated by it. He is energized by it. He loves to see us coming. He has perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect power, perfect provision, and he is able to give the very best to his children. And the good part is, he wants to. He wants to. He's not just able to do it. He wants to do it. So he's waiting for us to engage the relationship. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, He withholds no good thing from those who walk 
uprightly. No good thing. But something interesting is here, and let's go ahead and look at it. Verse 13, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, there's a parallel passage to this. Jesus told the same parable in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And uh, he taught the same thing there, but it was in a different place. Uh, it was a different occasion, different set of circumstances. But in Matthew, he says, um, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to them who ask him? So they're not exactly the same thing because then here he comes along and says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Well, now there are some of us, maybe we're shallow in understanding God's word or don't know him that well and we'll say, well, that's a bummer. You know, if I need bread, or if I need transportation, or if I need a roof over my head, He's going to give me the Holy Spirit? How's that going to help? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you how it's going to help. Maybe what He is saying here is that He's going to give you the giver who gives the gifts. The giver who gives the gifts. The Holy Spirit. Look, think of who He is. He is our comforter. He is our helper. He is the truth teacher. He is the spirit of power. He is our God. The fruit of the spirit is love, peace, joy, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. So with the spirit, when we're given the spirit, we get all of those things, all of those wonderful things. And so what's happening here is that we ask for the gift, but God gives us, the father gives us the giver. Um, that's the generosity of God. Everything we are and have as children of God comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all he can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Well, who's the power that works in us? It's the Holy Spirit. What can He do? Exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so it's like God says, you know what? They're my children. They have so many needs. Uh, they need so much wisdom. They need so much power. They need so much guidance and help. I'll just put my spirit in them. He's the ultimate supplier of all things, of all of those things. And then they'll have the giver. It's kind of like asking for a car and somebody gives you General Motors or Ford Motor Company. So he says, you're going to ask for the gift, but I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you far more than that. So everything that has happened to us as believers is a product of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so God says in this parable, he says, I'm just going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You just need to come to me and ask because with the Holy Spirit comes everything you will ever need. When the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit, He gave us everything. He gave us everything. He is able to do, think about it, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. That's a lot. It's beyond our wildest imagination.
So that's what he's taught. But now look on down. Go ahead with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus didn't just leave it alone with that one parable. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Now he, Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying, there was a certain city, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. He was a sorry old geezer. Okay. Verse 3, and there was a widow in that city and she just kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or respect man, he was honest about it, yet because she bothers me, this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming, she's going to wear me out. She's going to drive me nuts. That's what he's saying. And the Lord said, in this story, this parable, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night, and he will delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, that's for a different day. But here's the deal. The Lord's intention in this parable is in verse 1. Did you see it? He told us in the very first verse why he was telling. He said he was telling them this a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the purpose of the parable. So it's scripture's very clear there. Pray and don't lose heart. And so he's talking to his disciples. And so you see that in the end of chapter 17, that he's having a conversation with them. And so this is part of what he tells them in telling them this parable. And so sometimes it's called the parable of the importunate widow. Sometimes it's called the parable of the unjust judge. You pick. But he says here, this is why I'm telling this parable, is that so you will pray and not lose heart. You will pray and keep on praying. So there's that one. Now turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. And there were, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept saying to him, Send her away because she's shouting after us. Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What is he doing? Does that sound like Jesus? Watch it. But she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. 
but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from under the master's table, to which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. What's this all about? Well, we could spend a long time on it, but let's just get the skim off the top. This person doesn't fit the Jews' view of who can enter into the blessings of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was, is with Jews here. And so, you know, what, what's the matter? How come she doesn't fit? Well, first of all, she's a woman. And in this culture, Jews didn't see women as having any value whatsoever. So she's a woman. Secondly, she's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. So she has no part of the covenant. And so we can read all kinds of things into this. It's like Jesus is saying to those around him, I'm committed to the Jews, which he is, which he was. But now here, here she comes to Jesus. She doesn't have any right to come to Jesus. She is not a part of the covenant. She may not even know about the covenant. She has no worthiness at all to ask anything of the Lord. Now, the Jews thought they were worthy, and they could ask anything of him. And because they were Jews, they were going to get it. But here comes this lady. She is from a people of sinners. She is pagan. And so she comes to Jesus believing that he can meet her need. That's the first thing she got right. She came believing that he could meet her need. And so because she was a pagan, she didn't have a lot of information. She didn't know about the covenant. She didn't know about the, the relationship that God, Jesus, had with the Jews. She didn't know any of that. She had just heard about this man. And she knew, she believed that he could meet her need. But... She didn't need to know more than that because she knew enough to know that Jesus was the one who could help. And so she did whatever she had to do to get to him. She knew enough to know to get to him. And so she begins, look how she begins. Verse 22, she came to him and the first thing she says is what? Have mercy on me, O Lord. Have mercy on me. You know, she's saying, I don't deserve anything. Look, I, need, I just need you here. I need your help right here. And then she shows great respect by calling him, O Lord, son of David. So she knew a little bit. She knew a little bit. Now, she's got a little child. The original language tells us that this daughter is very young. And so she's got a young child, and she loves her little girl. And she knows that this child is demon-possessed. Now, when you're living in a pagan country and you are pagan, that's easy to happen because it's a wide open field for demon possession. And so she's trapped in that and she loves her little girl and she doesn't want to see this for her. The disciples said, get rid of her. Get rid of her. They literally say she screams at us. She screams at us. She is screaming and wailing and yelling all the time. Just do something. Just get rid of her. Get her out of here. The disciples 
probably are a little bit irritated with Jesus because at first he just didn't say anything. He just didn't say anything. And so apparently Jesus is being silent over a period of time. And so this has gone on here for a while. And so finally when Jesus speaks, he basically says to her, you're not a Jew. What's he doing? He is teaching this crowd. Now you watch what happens here. He's teaching this crowd and he says to this woman, you're not a Jew, but that did not deter her at all. Why? She is importunate. She's going to hang there. Why? Because this is important to her. And so he says, you're not a Jew. And so she just kept on. And what is the Lord doing? He is testing her faith and he is teaching these disciples and these people who are watching him. She is humble. She is importunate. She is shameless. Now look in verse um, 25. She came and began to bow down before him. She's worshiping him. And she says, Lord, help me. She calls him Lord. And she just says, I just need for you to help me. I don't know about all this other stuff. I just need for you to help me. So she worshiped him. And so Jesus draws out her faith. He's testing her. He's making her see and the people around them see what she really believes. She calls him Lord. She knows he, she needs his mercy, but she is persistent. And look at what he says to her in verse 28. He says, woman, your faith is great. Now, great is a relative term. You know, there was a time when Jesus said to the disciples, you have little faith. Well, Compared to whom? This woman has great faith compared to other people because she doesn't know much, but she's acting on what she knows. She's acting on who she believes Jesus to be. And Jesus acknowledges that. He's pulled that out of her. He says, you're not a Jew. You know, I, I was sent, you know, and so he, he just goes on and he says, it's not good to take the children's bread, the, the, the Jews' bread, and give it to dogs. See, people call these Canaanites people, they call them dogs, vicious, ferocious, trashy dogs. Jesus says, that's not good. And she says, just, just give me the crumbs. I'll take the crumbs from under your table. And so Jesus looks at her after pulling all of this out and says, you have great faith. You have great faith. She had humility. She had belief in Jesus. She had honesty. She had fervency. She ain't going to quit. She's going to do everything she can to get help for her daughter. And Jesus said, you have great faith. Oh, woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Think back for a minute to the importunate widow. Her widowhood was a pitiful situation. Now, it was bad enough to be a woman in this Jewish culture, but to have anything to be a woman in a Jewish culture, you had to be married. So when you became a widow, 
you were really in a mess and did not have anything to rely on because you were accustomed to relying on your husband. Well, this widow, she was pitiful. She was in a mess. She was in a pitiful situation. Um, nothing would move this unjust judge. Because what, what did he say about himself? He said, I don't, I don't respect anybody. I don't respect God. No. Except the only thing she had going for her in that situation with the unjust judge was what? Importunity. Importunity. So on several occasions, Jesus gave examples of the value of insistence and perseverance before God that leads to victory, leads to victory in prayer. Laziness and impatience, careless praying, just faint-heartedness, timidity, all of those things are fatal to victorious praying. And so the difference we have here is sometimes we pray prayers. Maybe we bring to God something that we need. And if it doesn't happen pretty quickly, we just quit and go on that shallow praying. This is deep praying. This is pursuing God. We're going to pursue and keep on pursuing. And what's happening in that process? I'm changing. Things are being revealed about me like they were being revealed about this Canaanite woman. So things are beginning to mature and develop in my relationship with the Lord God as I continue in this importunity. All through scripture, there are great people of God who had long seasons of pleading before God for different things. Man, that could be a whole lesson for a day, another day. There's just no question that importunate prayer is important to God. You know, many years ago, I had a precious lady who was um, mentoring me. I probably may have told you this before. Godly woman, knew the Lord, taught me so many things, and I admired her greatly. But she told me one time what a lot of you have been told and what a lot of people believe. And that is, if you pray for something, if you ask more than once, it means that your faith is weak and you don't believe you're gonna get it. And that's little faith. So when you pray for something, you just need to pray one time. According to God's word, that is not the truth. That is not rightly dividing this word. Because Jesus said what? He's given us these examples. For whatever reason, it's important to God. Why would God want us to keep on and on? Is he cruel? No. It is because our relationship with him becomes greater in the process. Even this Canaanite woman began to confess. She knew she needed mercy. That's the first thing she asked for, have mercy. She said, I know that you are Lord, son of David. She said, I know I don't deserve anything. And she just said, Lord, help me. That's all I know to do. But she called him Lord. She asked him for mercy. Was she saved in that day? Scripture doesn't say. Looks to me like it's a pretty good chance. 
pretty good chance. She knew to whom to go. She knew the proper posture in which to go. She knew her own need. And God called it great faith. Great faith. God is a loving father, a loving father. And he wants us engaged in the fullness of that father-child relationship. Our dependence on him. The more we are involved with him, the deeper and richer and more meaningful that relationship becomes. It becomes communion. So he's taught us a lot of things. Now, now here's where we can feel free right here. Maybe you feel embarrassed that you've had to pray for something for so long. Don't quit. Don't quit. This is about pressing into God and learning more about Him and yielding more of ourselves to Him and being honest with Him. Even when we don't know, we know that that's the right place to go. And He says, you keep on coming. You keep on asking, not to beg Him to get our will done, but to relate our needs to Him, which He already knows, but He says, you're gonna need to come and ask me because that's part of the relationship. It's part of the fellowship, it's part of the testimony, it's part of the communion. And he says, you just keep on coming, darling. I am waiting, I cannot wait to hear from you. I'm here. And we'll get this done together. He is the Lord God Almighty. He can do anything at any time. We need to understand our dependence on Him. And it's not just to dash in and asking for something and go. It's a relationship that continues, that is shameless because of who He is and who He has invited us to be. I have a good friend who told me that she prayed over 40 years for the salvation of her brother, and he was saved. Don't quit. God is waiting and He is working. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. Amen.